0: It's 10 times the
1: terror. Hello there. Paul, <laughs> <laughs> you go ahead and introduce.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll start it off, okay? I, I got my uh, my first uh, Moderna shot, but it's giving me kind of a, uh, a cold, so I've got uh, kind of a raspy voice here, and um, I have yeah, some water in case I need good it. for
2: the radio. Yeah right right, I said,
0: well, I always said yeah. People call me I have a, I have a good face for radio, you know, <laughs> right.
1: especially for horror.
0: Yeah, but, right. <laughs> Ten times the terror. Okay, uh, welcome everyone to Ten Times the Terror. Uh, this is Paul, and I'm Ralph, and we are very excited to have with us today uh, one of the leading American actors uh, in in the business right now, Shuler Hensley. And uh, we'll be talking to him a little bit about the, uh, his portrayals of the Frankenstein monster, which ties him in with what we've been doing. In fact, uh, uh, Shuler, we um, we just interviewed Sarah Karloff uh, a few days ago. Oh, wow. So That's there great. was that. Uh, yeah, but we want to talk about other things as well. Uh, you know, Shuler's, uh, uh monster portrayals is only a small part of his career. He uh, won the Tony for uh, the musical Oklahoma. And then uh, did it in in London on the West End and won the Olivier Award over there. And and didn't you meet the Queen? Did I have that right, uh, Schuller?
2: Yes. I I actually got to meet all the royals at the time. It was Prince Charles. It was the Queen. But what was extraordinary is I got to actually meet the Queen Mum, And it was her 100th birthday when they came to the wow! Wow. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, the royals tend to really age well. <laughs> yeah, we
0: just saw with Prince Philip just passed away at uh I know, he's 99 shy of
2: his 100. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so uh, you know, Schuler has worked with uh, many other key people in the acting uh, uh establishment, of Patrick Stewart and uh Hugh Jackman and uh is going to be preparing to do, uh, the Music Man on Broadway when things get back a little more to what we could call normal. Um, but, uh, there's a, a lot of, uh, a lot of things to be excited about. So anyway, so, uh, and, and I have to add a personal note here that, uh, when, uh, <clears throat> Shuler and his family were living in Montclair, uh, they were members of the church where I was the pastor and Shuler sang a right. choir and, uh, his, his wife, Paul, and, their, and their, their, their children were very active in the church. So um, I'm now retired, but uh, those are very fond memories. Chula, um, uh, you were very much uh, very supportive of that. And and I think, yeah, I think even mm-hmm. you and Gwendolyn did a duet at one point on one of our gospel music services, if I remember that right.
2: I think so, yes. It, it's funny, I told my um, kids to... Basically, we were really young at the time, and now my daughter's 20
1: and oh, my wow. son's
2: 16. The first time I actually got them to sing was at, at Grace Presbyterian Church. And I I sort of bribed them, saying, if you guys sing where I can hear you, I'll give you a dollar. So they were the loudest <laughs> children. Uh, <in> the choir.
0: <laughs> oh, right, right, right. But, uh, and I remember we saw... Um, you, you were on uh broadway the last time we saw you was in uh well it was i always called it waiting for Godot, but it was called waiting for Godot. uh yeah. and the recent broadway had ian mckeller and patrick stewart were both in that with you and that was a lot of fun That's too right. and it was among, uh,
2: it was ian and and patrick and billy up. yes and um yeah it was extraordinary to be able to uh, it was just the four of us doing a uh, waiting for Godot and no man's land, which is a Harold Pinter play. We did a double bill um, right. for a year. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We only got to see the one half, but waiting, you know, what we called waiting for Godot, that was something that I'd spent a lot of time with in college. That was, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, back in the sixties, you know, that was still a, mm-hmm. a groundbreaking, uh, play in, in many, many ways. And, um, and I had a religion professor who said that you know the, the, the Godot really was God you're waiting for. It. Anyway, there's a lot of things we can talk about with that. Uh, just right. to uh, kind of keep ourselves on track. Just, what are you doing right now, uh, Sh- uh, Shuler? Just give us a, an update on your, your current, uh, current performances.
2: Well, right now, with COVID, uh, <clears throat> seemingly we're, we're getting a, a hold on that somewhat. Uh, you know, theater for the last over the last year has been pretty much non-existent and we were scheduled to open a revival of the music man um on broadway last october and then we pushed it and now we're scheduled to open in february of 2022 it sounds like a science fiction date to me because it sounds so far off but uh I think by that time we'll be able to um, sort of have a handle on it and and on live theater. You know, it's just the audiences and and being able to do something like that. But in the meantime, I've been doing, it's given me a lot of time to do film and television, which has become sort of a creative venture, too. They've had to rethink uh, how to test people, how to keep people safe on set. They've added an actual COVID uh, department at SAG, at the Screen Actors Guild, that's on set. And I, I get tested. I'm doing a an episode of Prodigal Son right now. And I get tested twice every morning. One is a rapid test and one is uh, a more thorough test. And, and they really seem to be able to control it for the, Film and TV, so that I've been really fortunate to be a part of as well. But it's it's been a long year for a lot of colleagues and artists, and um, we're looking forward to getting back on live theater. Yeah, I could I certainly appreciate that. Uh, but uh, as
0: uh, as as you well know, sure uh, we. Share our interest in uh, some of the uh, horror and mystery things, and Sherlock Holmes and all that. In fact, it wasn't. I think it was um, uh, uh, Lynn Riggs who who wrote the um, uh, "Green Grow the uh, Lilacs." That was the, the yeah, inspiration, that's correct.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, wrote the uh, screenplay for the um, the first of the Universal Sherlock Holmes movies, which you saw at our house. I think. <laughs> you
2: know, you that's like, you right, know. and I forgot about that, <laughs> Lynn Riggs absolutely yeah it's um i tend to be because of the my voice type i'm a i'm sort of a darker bass baritone that's where i i started in opera and of course most of the characters in opera written for my voice, voice type are the villains or the monsters or the you know the <laughs> evil ones and i've sort of <laughs> never gotten <laughs> out of it <the, laughs> being cast like that but um, you know, I always find it very interesting to be able to, to play the, the monsters and the villains, because I, I think there's sort of in us all, we all have our own little, um, idea of what a monster and villain are, and, and we're capable of being that, so.
0: Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot we can talk about. Well, let's, let's just jump in with it. So, um, sure. uh you know, as we know, many, um, many actors that have played the Frankenstein monster, principally Boris Karloff in the 30s on up to Robert De Niro and many others. And uh, you uh, played the monster, uh, a very interesting interpretation in the film Von Helsing. So tell us about, how did you understand the whole feature of, of the of the Frankenstein monster?
2: Well, it, it's interesting because um, I had, uh, in In researching and getting ready to do that role, even though you know it was sort of a hodgepodge of monsters that you had the werewolf, you had Frankenstein's monster, you had Dracula all in the movie. And um I went back to the book, which is is quite different from a lot oh, of yeah. the way Universal Studios portrayed the 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 monster. and Interesting enough, when we started shooting Van Helsing, um, Stephen Summers who directed it and wrote the screenplay, uh, he and I talked about maybe just uh, adding little bits and pieces of of um, nuance, even in the set, where it it shows that this isn't just a monster, you know, who grunts and moans, but he's very articulate. he's He's intelligent. Um, and so which is, we, which we, is the monster in the book. You know, he quotes he,
0: yeah, like, Milton,
2: Paradise Lost, all of this. Yeah. So we actually, in the cave, the first thing you, you see the monster in, uh, you, you have Van um, Helsing comes into the cave, and he sees a, a um, pile of bones. And next to the pile of bones is the Bible. So you see, you know, it's like he ate whatever he ate, but he was also a, a voracious reader, and and um, I thought that was a, just a, an interesting um, sort of representation of it because you you know I, I guess we what's interesting to me is you can play the monster side, you can play the evil side of these characters, but when it really becomes something that people can relate to is when they you give them glimpses of a redeeming quality or you know a glimpse of something that that reminds them of themselves, and then that gives weight to the character and makes people think you know you know maybe he isn't all bad and and that's that's great that I can relate to it, but it's also an example that we all have the capability of Becoming months Yeah, it's a, it's a sad but true. And in yeah. the uh,
0: in in the film, you you actually are quoting Psalm twenty three. One point.
2: Yes, correct. Yes. Um, and I I think that was another thing I asked uh, Stephen Summers because he had originally written uh, just that he was howling on the table because they were I think they were taking him off. There was one of these big elaborate banquet and they were going to take him off and sort of torture him because his his blood was the uh, the secret formula so to speak of having eternal life and that's what they were wanting from from the Frankenstein's monster so as they were taking him off he was he was shouting that as well as screaming but um, yeah. It's a, i when when you and I first talked about your interest in and in your you know your history with with uh, monsters and this this sort of subject, it's just fascinating to me that it is a part of of um, everyone's history and that there's a lot of depth to it, um, even even in a a sort of fluffy. Film like *Van Helsing*, which is entertaining, but you—it's an entertaining movie. But these characters obviously have something that grips people because, you know, Frankenstein's monster, like you said, has been around for so long, and it's still something my kids and I can talk about, and and even kids that are even younger than that. You know, I think uh, there was an eighth-grade class recently down in Georgia that was reading the the Mary Shelley book and and they were fascinated by it, so it's sort of a timeless story yeah I, uh, uh, and those um the, the
0: uh, universal films, and as you know I'm interested also in the hammer films i' don't know, i did a I did a book on Christopher lee where um right. uh, I, I mentioned you in the in the part of the book part of those the Distinguished number of people who played the role of the Frankenstein monster. People always realize, you know, they think of Boris Karloff, but or even just Christopher Lee. But so many people have played that role and played it in different ways. And as you say, that that there's a humanity in the in the in the so-called monster uh, or creature that reflects us, you know, uh, in our sin and in our rebellion, and and at the same time in our need. Um,
2: Right. So you know now absolutely uh, and yeah go ahead go ahead Stuart. no I was just going to say um, and what's interesting when you're in the literally inside the body of the monster when you're playing that kind of character it's not hard to feel what it would feel like to be um, that kind of grotesque creature that people find frighten, frightening by looking at. That you you feel isolated, you feel lonely, you feel misunderstood. You want to fit in. It's all the scenarios I think that we all want um, as a human being. But you know, because of his circumstance and because of the way he looked, um, it was just impossible for people to accept accept him. And um, it really it really helped inform playing that character. Now uh
0: the um the Van Helsing film is one one of this but of course then you played the monster on um, Broadway in The Young Frankenstein. Mel Brooks
1: uh Take Off sure. mm-hmm.
0: uh, Take Off really on the first three uh, Universal films which uh, Frankenstein Bride of Frankenstein and of Frankenstein and uh I remember when that movie first came out of that uh, I you know grew up as this, as you've noted uh Watching those films, along with the Sherlock Holmes ones and so forth, and and love them. But I I was I laughed so hard, I, my stomach hurt. <laughs> yeah, that, that was so well done. So t- tell us, talk to us a little bit about doing Young Frankenstein.
2: Well, what's interesting is you know Mel Brooks, um, who is still one has one of the most active and uh, active comedic minds still today. I. I still talk to him as often as I can. And um, it was very, it was, uh, it got the Mel Brooks humor, but Mel's humor is based on, and he would say this, he would say, you never want to play funny. You never, you want to play it as if you are uh, in the real situation of that. And that that's what made uh, the monster I really didn't have to rethink it and think. Oh, this is a cheap inversion of the monster. You're still isolated. You're still still misunderstood. You can't communicate. This this monster couldn't communicate. He sort of was more of a a um, you know. He says putting on the ritz a couple of times and and that sort of thing. But it was the same idea, and it felt very much uh, the same in terms of being the odd man out of the, out of the, um, the, the, uh, scene. But what's interesting with Mel is he made his humor was that with all that being said about the monster, the monster was the straight guy in the play because he, in the musical, because he was surrounded by crazy people, you know, the, uh, The doctor was crazy. Uh, Frau Blucher was crazy. Igor was crazy. They they were all insane. So he in every scene and the blind the hermit in the hermit's cottage was insane. So it was it was the twist was that that the monster became a great guy. That's that's fascinating.
0: You know it's it's funny because um, real humor is not based on ridicule. Real humor is based on affection. Yeah, uh, we can relate to the great comedians because um, we we can identify with them. You know, we're not there to, right. to, to make fun of them. We're there to identify with them, uh, and then their troubles become our troubles. So troubles we can recognize, or whether you know, that's you know the classic Laurel and Hardy or Chaplin and the Marx Brothers, or on up to the to the present, uh, the um, we want to identify with these characters, and then then we can see the humor in them. Uh right. But because otherwise humor can be off
2: putting. Yes, I agree. And and uh uh I always remember Mel during rehearsals would just say if anyone started doing the wink wink to the audience uh or getting used to a certain laugh at a certain time, he's like, Don't play don't play the funny, play play the reality of the scene. And of course when you do that it's even funnier.
1: One of my uh, observations that, uh, uh, that come back over and over is he's got a nice smile. Uh, mm-hmm. Frankenstein has a nice smile when, uh, when you watch him. Uh, I think, you know, uh, the, best, the, the best scene for me was in, in um, the scene with the blind man where uh, he cannot see Frankenstein. Uh, and so they're on neutral ground because uh, Frankenstein accepts him. And he accepts Frankenstein. And that is the basis of uh, where their friendship begins. It's only when people see Frankenstein and Mm -hmm. get upset with the horror of his face that he really gets angry. I mean, when those guys come in, he's willing to, to receive them as well. But the first thing they do is, ah, it's the monster, you know, and that gets them all uptight. Well, who wouldn't get uptight if everybody that saw us got scared and called us a monster? I um, mean it's not the best way to begin a relationship so for me uh frankenstein uh is is a very tragic figure because he comes into a world uh with with, with three strikes against him and, and uh, he, there's absolutely no sense of love towards him other than through that blind man who 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 shows you know uh, unconditional love. And I think that, that that blind man really represents a, a, a sign of Jesus Christ himself with the lepers or the Samaritan woman where he just received them, not outwardly, but looks at the heart. And I think at the heart of Frankenstein, the creature I'm talking about, of course, uh, is a gentle heart. Uh, he's like mm-hmm. a child. Yeah. He was born
2: into the world that way. He had no choice and he had no. Say in the matter, and I think what's interesting, what I think people like you say can relate to that, is because as an audience member watching these films and watching the stories that uh, the, whether it's young Frankenstein or Boris Karloff, you get an opportunity to see uh, behind the, the the monster in his loneliness when he's, you know, when he's uh, vulnerable and you instantly go, you know, I can relate to that. And then when he's in a crowd and they react solely on w- what he looks like, you almost find yourself as an audience member going, well, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 no, this is, he's good. He's good. And there's sort of that internal struggle. And I think that's what makes him so endearing and relatable to
1: people did you um did you always have an interest in horror and sci-fi or did the uh opportunity create that
2: i think i think um my interest is always as an actor has always been playing um roles that may be preconceived by uh for example, Judd Fry in Oklahoma, that's another type of monster or quote villain. Um, and you know when when Oklahoma came out, the movie with uh Rob Steiger Rod Steiger and um, Shirley Jones and, and when it was on Broadway, it was just after the war, World War Two. And I think at the time there was a need in society and a need in uh getting through that that you needed you needed a clear um hero and you needed a clear villain um and i think that that's where that notion came but if you read the book if you read um and if you listen to the song that Judd sings in *Rodgers and Hammerstein*, which was cut from the movie because Rod Steiger wasn't really a good singer, but it's called *Lonely Room*. And in that song is a whole uh, exploration of Judd wanting to fit in, wanting to be loved, wanting to be just like everyone else. And from that moment on, I think. Uh, it, it it created a depth to that character that I found fascinating because I, I I do think when I say there's a villain in in us all I don't mean that in terms of of we're all going to turn into you know monsters but I I'm think I'm more thinking of it in terms that the monsters are there but there's also they're also human there's also that quality that we can relate to. No one is purely a monster. No one is purely, you know, a villain. I don't think, and, and even studying, you know, I would study the uh, actual psych, psychopath. And the thing about playing somebody that extreme is that they don't, they don't sit there thinking, oh, well, I'm evil. They don't, they, they sit there going, I'm right. I'm right, and everyone else is wrong. It's not I'm wicked. And I'm you know, but that's where that's where the um, yeah. dilemma comes from. And uh, I've just found that whole idea fascinating to be able to go to you know, sort of explore that as an actor. And and my goal would be to find qualities in whatever character I play that people can relate to, because if you can. Find one quality that somebody says, "Well, oh, well, I, I get that," or "Yeah, that's you know, I've I've felt that." Then you've got them. Then they then they they can't just dismiss you as as the villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Uh, is there any particular
0: reason why uh, uh, you chose the twenty-third psalm to be the uh, the biblical text that the, that the creature quotes?
2: I just felt like it was. Um, he felt like he was going to his um death and that he wanted to um, be strong and fear no evil and and you know that he's he's you know he i think it just gave him comfort um sort of like a mantra that you do before knowing that something is coming up that's going to be extremely painful or even you know uh, may you may not come out of
0: yeah, there, there's a mock, you know, crucifixion scene in *Brighter Frankenstein*, uh, and yeah. there are some religious themes in *Brighter Frankenstein*. You know, the, um, the the hermit is is kind of like a monk. You know, he prays and thanks God for sending him a friend, and the uh, uh, he's playing Ave Maria when the, when the monster first comes, and then the uh, when the the scene fades out, it fades out on a crucifix on the wall. It's interesting to me that. Um, Young Frankenstein doesn't go near any of those symbols uh in terms of the things right. it's, it's picking up. It, it, it like like Mel Brooks, he really respects that uh and doesn't find it in any way make you know make that part of the part of the humor, which is you know, well placed in so many other other senses. Um right. but but there you know, I think that they these uh so called classic horror stories, I always see they're they're religious
1: allegories. I think it's interesting, Paul, that uh, in War of the Worlds, you have a minister quoting Psalm 23 as he moves towards the Martians. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. there, there's an interesting catch there because uh, he takes it to the extreme of saying, I will fear no evil. You know, he does. He just goes right towards them. And uh, But on the positive side, when he says, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that's when he's going to dwell because it's right there at his execution, so to speak. So I guess in horror films, as in religious themes, there's the, there's the two extreme that, that's carelessly brave or naive. And the other side of the coin is that you're so filled with terror that you're in, you, you, you don't act on, 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 on your courage. You just give in to your fear. And so you're just a victim. Uh, it's just an interesting playoff to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. That I think that that. that, That's funny. that yeah. I
2: looking back on the Van Helsing, I remember, you know, the twenty third sum was not written in the script, and it was something that, sort of, just came to me, that I if I was in, and I was lying on that table for probably, four hours before we actually filmed and. Things are going on around, and you're strapped down, and, and I was, I, I think, I think that's just uh, something that is so so much of uh, a part of. It's almost like a mantra of of being able to steady yourself and feel um, feel some sort of peace in that kind of those kind of moments. Yeah,
0: that, that that would fit. How how long did it take to put all that makeup on you?
2: Makeup was about seven hours. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I would come in if I was shooting it, and we usually shot all of my stuff all night. So we'd start around eleven or twelve midnight and end about. Five or six before the sun came out because a lot of it was outside and we shot it uh, for three months in Prague where I don't know if you guys have ever been to that city but it's so old and beautiful and wasn't touched by the war that you can basically hang light and you've got 700 year old buildings there so it was it was a perfect location for that and um, so I would come in, I'd come in about five in the afternoon, and I'd be ready by midnight.
0: <laughs> and how, how much weight were you
2: carrying around in that? <laughs> I'm not sure about the weight, but there were probably about 15 different prosthetic pieces for the face and the neck area, and then there was a big body suit. And then there were separate hands that they had to make. And then the interesting thing about uh, my height—I was about seven foot three. I was—I'm six foot three now. But they—they they designed these prosthetic um, legs where I could fit my feet into. And then the bottom of the the prosthetic was a, actually a very pliable uh, spring foot. And I practiced on those in Central Park. And I always loved the fact that before I went to shoot, I could run around in Central Park on these giant fake legs, and no one would comment because New Yorkers have seen it all. You know, they're just, they're just like, oh, yeah, look at that guy. And that's it. So, um, but it was, it was, what was interesting is. It was a sort of a development in the uh, in certain um, makeup um, and cooling systems. We actually they actually developed a very simple way of running um, pipes, like plastic pipe, underneath my body suit, and then there was a pump, where we could put a ice chest, giant ice chest, next to me and then it would just pump the ice water through to keep you cool because you're in that suit for so long um, that uh, if it's a warm day, it's it's really hard. And they learned that, I think, from the Planet of the Apes. I believe that was being filmed around the same time as Van Helsing, and they had filmed that in the desert, and they had a lot of issues with guys passing out and uh, from all the, the giant and they developed these sort of cooling systems, which was very interesting.
0: Yeah, well, that's, it's all fascinating. Well, this has been great, Shuler. Um, Ralph, yeah. some, any, more, some more, any more
1: questions or comments? No, you know, I just want to thank you for coming on the show. I mean, you just bring another level of professionalism that, um, and diversity. I mean, I'm just amazed that you've done so many different kinds of parts, and uh, you, you have that ability, obviously to to do that uh a lot of people just can't they they find themselves stuck in one kind of a role and so you've been very blessed thank you Rob yeah and and what
2: what I find fascinating about um being an actor and being in the arts is that you're constantly being um taught life lessons through the art and and through the characters and I would definitely say uh, coming out of playing Frankenstein's monster, I've learned a lot more about empathy, and um, and uh, you know, sort of trying to reach that point where uh, you don't want to judge people uh, a book by cover, and you don't want to jump to conclusions. And I think that's a, a really interesting life lesson that just sort of came to m- me by playing that role so there's
1: a mm. lot you can learn from
2: monsters right
1: you could learn a lot about monsters just going on the Henry Hudson every day <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's true
0: well again thanks so much shuler and uh, at least thank
1: give, you give. guys
2: this is a great this is a great podcast i love the the concept and and it was a pleasure to to share with you guys.
1: Thank you very much. Right, you.
0: right. Take care. Give, give our Bye, best to your family.
1: Thank you for listening
0: to It's 10 Times the Terror. The podcast. You are impossible. you you your well-intentioned is Daily wrong. Thank you for listening to 10 Times the Terror. This podcast would not be possible without listeners like you. You can find out more about our podcast by visiting our website,
2: 10timestheterror.com. That's 10xtheterror.com.